Good evening, everyone. Well, this evening we will be starting another season of Lectio Divina, this time in which we meditate upon the Word of God and seek to find within our own hearts the way in which we can respond to the Lord. This year, I've been thinking what passages to use. And uh, our whole diocese is right now shifting in a way or deepening our appreciation of the first portion of our pastoral plan, which is fundamentally reach out to the scattered, care for the gathered and reach out to the scattered. And then we have vibrant parishes, vocations, caring for the needy, and evangelizing the culture. All of those are linked together. But the vibrant parishes means be a place in each of our parishes, in our whole diocese, in every institution, in every family, in everything, where we are really stewards of God's grace, where we say to the Lord, thank you for what you have given us. Thank you for calling us. Help us to be faithful stewards to whom you entrust our time and our talent. You entrust our whole life. May we be fruitful in that. May we listen to your call and enter energetically and joyfully into the mission which you have entrusted to us. Until finally, the steward, always you look at the stewardship parables, there comes a time when the master returns and the steward or the servant is held accountable for how the time has been spent being responsible for the goods of the master. Now there are very few specific stewardship parables and I thought what I would do in this year in which we're meditating upon that is not refer to any one of them. I referred, you may always read the parable of the talents and things like that. I'd rather go in a kind of a deeper way in looking at what does it mean to be a steward of the community? What does it mean to be called by the Lord, to be responsible, to be members, active, vibrant disciples within the community? That's the deep meaning of stewardship. And so we have a series of such passages. And the first of them this evening is from the Gospel of John. It's the calling of the disciples. Now, just last week, I ordered up a pair of bifocals. Um, so I thought I could look professorial going like this. Because when I, I can see from a distance and I can't, then I can't read the text. Or I can see the text through my reading glasses that I can't see you. So they're on the way, but they're not here yet. So if I'm waving my glasses around in a professorial manner, you'll notice that I'm, uh, I try, I'm not trying to be impressive about that. It's just that I don't have my bifocals yet. I didn't worry about bifocals when I was a teenager, but there we are. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We'll have, I'll, I, will, I will have the rector of the cathedral carry my bifocals in on a pillow when I finally get them. It's amazing how print gets smaller as you get older, but oh, there it is. So we are going to, this will begin with the, the calling of the disciples in the Gospel of John. And to think, what does it say to my head, to my heart, to my hands? As we read these words, what does it say? How can I know God, love God, and serve God? So we begin though with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may hear these words of our Savior, and that we may by them be touched and moved to be truly faithful disciples. 
Free us, O Lord, from those barriers of sin that block your pathway to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help us, O Lord, to still within our hearts all those anxieties that distract us and confuse us that can be so great so that we may be able to hear you in the silence with which you speak to us. For it is not in the thunder and the lightning, but in the gentle breeze that you come to us and in the words of sacred scripture. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist is the one we look to, foreshadows the Lord, 
He points to him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. He is one who leads others to the Lord. And we see him leading two of his own disciples. He doesn't cling to them and say, oh, why are you going with this more popular person over here? Stay with me, stay with me, make me important, give me followers. He doesn't cling, he is a saint. He doesn't cling. When we do that, we sink. When we're jealous for our own popularity, for our own success, he lets go. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked. He looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God. He pointed out that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who will be offered up completely for the salvation of the people. Behold the Lamb of God. We pick this up, of course, in our liturgy. Behold the Lamb of God. He points to the Lord. In this, he is much like our Blessed Mother. You know, she never speaks of herself. She says a bit later than this, in the, just the next passage, actually, to this evening's, in the wedding feast at Cana, which is the final completion of these passages, she says, do what he tells you. She doesn't say, do what I want. She says, do what he tells you. Fill them with water. Let the abundant grace of the Lord flow amongst us. The water turned to wine. And so it is with John the Baptist and all the great saints. And it is to be with us, each one of us. We point to Jesus. We look to him. And we see who he is. In this we follow John the Baptist. And so as we listen to these words of the great forerunner of the Lord, let us say in our own hearts, am I looking for Jesus? Or am I so caught up in myself and my ego, my own success, my own popularity, my own busyness, that I don't even notice as Jesus is passing by? John was not, he was watching. He saw the Lord pass by and he said, behold, there is the Lamb of God, not me, there he is. Do we have that disposition within our own hearts to let go, to look, to be attentive, not to miss the Lord God when he passes by because he does not come in thunder and lightning, he comes in gentleness into our lives. May we have that disposition because if we're filled up with our own ego and our own sins, our own pride, that little letter I, the smallest in the alphabet and the most deadly, we don't even notice Jesus when he's walking by. But John the Baptist does, he does, and so should we. Let's think about that. Am I looking? Do I see? The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. 
They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. We see a whole chain reaction in this passage, which reproduces itself in our lives. John sees Jesus. They hear him say, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples seek Jesus. They follow him. Come, follow me. He says, come and see. And we'll see later on, they begin. Andrew calls Peter. Peter comes. This spreads from person to person. They always say the faith is not taught, but caught. And we often catch the faith from other people. And we must ourselves be people filled with the presence of Jesus who can lead others to the Lord. And always in the spirit of John the Baptist, Christ must increase, I must decrease. The more we are decreased, the less we're full of ourselves, the more we can see Jesus when he passes by, and the more we can with authenticity and integrity point him out to others and they will follow him. It is the way in which the Lord spreads the light in this world. Just as at the Easter vigil, the candle from candle to candle, the dark church becomes more bright. There's a chain of witnessing. The two disciples heard him say this, and they didn't debate and think and analyze, you know, the paralysis of analysis. They heard him say this and they followed him like that. Notice when Jesus walks by, he says, follow me. And people drop their nets. They drop everything at the taxpayer's booth. They drop everything and follow him. They follow him. They don't read about him. They don't study him. They follow him, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of who we are. They follow Christ himself. It is not the law of God, not the words, not the teaching, but the person of Jesus from which then everything else follows and flows. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, he notices them, he always does. He turned and saw them following. And he said to them, what do you seek? At the end of the gospel, the Lord says outside the tomb, whom do you seek? But here he says, what do you seek? He proposes a question to them. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? He proposes that to us too in prayer, especially for reading this passage. What are we seeking in life? What is it? We sometimes don't even know what we're seeking. But the Lord asks us to say what it is. What do you seek? Why are you following me? What is it you're looking for? A question we all have to ask. He said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, isn't that an odd response? He says, what do you seek? Holiness, success, fidelity, many things we could have said. What do you seek? 
What they seek is to know where he lives so they may live with him. They may dwell with him. And the word here for staying is the same used later on in the gospel for the Lord God staying with us. Stay with us, be with us, live with us. So they're saying to him, what do you seek? We, we seek to know where you're staying so that we can be with you. Because our faith is not a passing thing. We need to dwell with the Lord and the Lord dwells with us. It's permanent. It's not just a passing fad. And it's not just an illumination of the intellect or a movement of the will. It is living with the master. And in the old Jewish tradition and other ones later after that, that was often what happened. The teacher would have a whole group of students living with him. And so they wouldn't just simply take down notes and go back home. They would constantly be soaking up the message and the person and the teaching more than just the from the neck up, the whole reality of the teacher as they lived with him. And although this is not what little babies say to their parents, where are you staying? They're taken to where they're staying. But that dwelling, dwelling together as a family, that's how little babies learn everything they need to know. They don't go to class, they live in the family. And there is the responsibility of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Where do you stay? Where are you living? Where are you dwelling? That's why our families need to be so very important. That's why parents are the first teachers of their children in the ways of faith. It's not a kind of thing that can be broken up. We need to live with the Lord. And that's why in every Catholic church, it becomes a home and not a house. I often love this at the blessings of churches, which I do from time to time, especially since we're opening a new one about every year. But I love this, the part of the ceremony, there are beautiful parts of the ceremony, the anointing of the altar and many beautiful things. The part I love the most is when after communion, the empty tabernacle is there and we put the blessed sacrament there and I get to light the lamp for the first time. And that light shines. Who is dwelling here? It is no longer a house, it is a home. And every time we come into the church, we orient ourselves towards the Lord. And in this church, come in any day, you see people before the blessed sacrament. And the Lord is saying, what do you seek? And they're all saying, where are you living? You're living here and I'll spend time with you. So let's think of that. Let's think deeply of our Catholic faith. It isn't just an academic exercise. We're called to live, to dwell, to be with the Lord. Not just to talk about him and learn about him, to be with him and from there to move outward into the mission. First he says, come. Then at the end, he says, go. The two words upon which our life revolves. Here he says, come. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. 
And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. The open invitation, come and see and dwell with me. Let's ask the Lord to help us to seek him, to dwell with him all the time, and especially whenever we can within our life to spend time before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Come and see, come and live with me, he says. There's a wonderful quote from later on in the gospel and with Martha and Mary and, and uh, where the words above a tabernacle simply, the teacher is asking for you. The teacher is asking for you. Come, come. Lord, help me to come and to see and to dwell with you all the time. And he said to them, come and see. They came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. So they stayed. Notice at the end of, of Luke, you know, the Lord is walking along the road to Emmaus and he made as if to go on. And they said, come, stay with us. It happens there as well. Now it may well be, this may have been, it's Friday, we don't, this is just a speculation, so, you know. It may have been that the Sabbath was approaching at four o'clock and so they were sort of, you might say, they had to stay, they couldn't travel beyond that, we don't know. But it was late in the afternoon and um, they stayed with him that day. Well, no, they stayed with him for the rest of their life. And he stayed with them when they didn't stay with him. For they all ran at the crucifixion, but he still was with them. This is like the great words of Augustine who was running away from the Lord for a good part of his life. You were with me and I was not with you. Those things held me back from you, things whose only being was to be in you. He's always stays with us, even if we think we're running away. And you know, the hound of heaven is always coming after us with unperturbed pace, majestic instancy. We can't run from the Lord. He always says, come, come, come. Although sometimes we try. Let's pray that we will stay with him. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said to him, do you, so you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, or Cephas, Cephas, which means Peter, the rock. This is really interesting. Peter was sort of late in the line there. You would think Peter would be the first one called or something. No, uh, he's never the first one who sees Jesus either. In the boat, it's always the beloved disciple who says it is the Lord. Peter's the one who jumps into the water. And remember at the tomb, the beloved disciple runs and gets there first, 
holds back, and then Peter comes chugging along. He's probably considerably older than the beloved disciple, and the beloved disciple holds back, and Peter goes in. It's interesting where Peter goes in these things. And so Andrew leads the greatest of the apostles to Jesus. It's his brother who does it. Isn't that something? The family, disciples, John's disciple, Andrew, then brings Peter to Jesus, whom he has just discovered. And he found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could have on our tombstone the person here brought many people to Jesus? How do we bring people to Jesus? We can say, Peter, come over here. I found the Messiah. It's easier to do that with your brother. But wouldn't it be wonderful to be known as one who brought people to Jesus? And that's, uh, that's Andrew's great role. And he says, we found the Messiah. Well, they found more than the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, because of those times they had a rather limited view of what that meant. They had found the Lord God walking amongst them. The one that John the Baptist noticed as he walked by, as almighty God walked by quietly and unnoticed. John the Baptist said, there is the Lamb of God. The two disciples followed Jesus. What do you seek? Come and see where I am staying. And then they start bringing others to Jesus. And gradually they will come to realize he is so much more than the Messiah. And Jesus looked at him. He looked intently at him. He also looked at him later on, sad to say, when Peter was in the courtyard, having just denied him. The look of Jesus. Jesus looked at him. He looked at him. He cared for him. He loved him. And he said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is one of the signs of the sense of humor of our beloved Lord. You know, because there's nobody less rock-like than Peter. And yet he says, you are called to be the rock. His name goes ahead of him as what he's meant to be. He himself personally stumbles a lot. He's more like Jello much of the time. But he's always called to be the rock. That's his name. He constantly is called to live up to his name, to be the one upon whom the Lord will build his church. And of course, he didn't pick the beloved disciple. He didn't pick someone without weaknesses. He picked Jellowish Rocky to be the one he entrusted his church to. But he gave him a profound mission, which stays with us to this day and always will to the end of time. The mission of being the rock. This is the office of Peter, which will forever be within the church until the Lord comes in glory. And so we should always pray for the person who at this time is given that mission. We pray for him. At every mass, we pray for him. For Francis, our Pope, 
in this diocese, Thomas, our bishop. Pray for me too, because as the Holy Father is the vicar of Christ for the whole world, I am the vicar of Christ from Oshawa to Mississauga, Lake Ontario to Georgian Bay. And that's my mission. I represent the Lord Jesus here. I'm sent for that, anointed for that, as the Holy Father is for the Diocese of Rome and for the whole world. Called to that mission, held to that mission, each one of us who has office in the church, judged on that mission, which is good when the cardinals are voting. You see all these cardinals, <laughs> popes all heading down the wrong way. Called to the mission. The office, the office is sacred. And so we pray for the, the sinners and frail humans who at any one time occupy the office, who exercise the mission and who are challenged by the name and the title. And the Holy Father has, of course, many different titles. The Rock is one of them, it's right here, called to be the Rock of Unity for the Church. And so we pray for him in that. He's also called the Vicar of Christ for the world, as each bishop is for the diocese. And he's called the most important title, Servant of the Servants of God, which he is called really throughout the gospel. He's to be the servant who leads, who cares, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He serves the Lord. But to be servant of the servants of God, what a mission that is. And so we always should pray for the priest, the bishop, the pope, people who have these responsibilities, pray for the cardinals. Um, because they have a mission one time, choosing the Pope, of course. The Pope is not chosen by God. The Pope is chosen by the College of Cardinals, which I would never confuse with God. We pray hard, we pray a lot, but we have a sacred mission there. And the Holy Father has a sacred mission to be the rock, to never waver. His mission is that of a rock, of a shepherd. He's not a prophet, of course, he doesn't, uh, have fresh revelation or anything like that. That's a prophet or an evangelist, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Holy Father's mission is to be the rock, solid, unchanging, faithful and true, articulating the sacred scriptures, what is found there. Of course, he's not above the sacred scriptures. He is articulating them. And the living faith of the church, he articulates that. And we pray the Lord to bless him and give him grace in that mission. You know, Pope Francis, whenever he meets anybody, he always says in that beautiful voice, he's, pray for me. And so we should always do that and pray for the bishops and priests as well, that they will be found faithful in fulfilling the office committed to them because it is a glorious mission. The Lord is always with his church. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Our Lord is not really um, long-winded in what he says. He says, follow me. You, follow me, come. Come and see, follow me. That could be almost a little uh, rhyming couplet. Come and see, follow me. See where I'm staying, see where I'm living, live with me. 
He says this to Philip. And so gradually, the apostles are gathered together. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, so they're from the same hometown. Notice these bonds are already there. The Lord, grace builds on nature, and the Lord builds on already existing networks of friendship and relationship as he calls the first apostles, the first disciples. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, wouldn't that be an awful thing to, to have some, Na, Bethsaida and, and Nazareth were kind of nearby, and Cana and places like, they're all in the same area. So we have all these little rivalries and things like that. This is the kind of pettiness and humanity and frailty out of which the great apostles are chosen. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And then, not Jesus, but Philip says, come and see. It's catching, it's wonderful. Philip is saying, come and see if anything good comes from Nazareth. There's the good one who comes from Nazareth. And he breaks through the prejudices that Nathaniel has about someone from that little town, that rival town. And good old Philip says, come and see, you'll find out. Don't just stand there, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and he said to him, behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. He's, he's not sneaky or, you know, twisted. It's just a straightforward, well, that's pretty obvious when he says, can any good come from Nazareth? He's not subtle, he's not a diplomat, I don't think. He's someone who speaks the truth even when people don't want to hear it. Behold in Israel, and Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? How do you know that I am a person without guile? I'm a wonderful, honest, absolutely wonderful person. How did you know me? I think he's a bit of a narcissist too. <laughs> but, oh yes, I'm the one without guile. I'm also handsome, good looking, smart, intelligent. Yes, how did you know me? Quite, I, here I am. So Nathaniel is, you know, just this group of people the Lord gathers around him. These aren't sort of suave sophisticators sort of with layer upon layer. He is truly without guile. He just blurts it out. And that's not a bad thing sometimes. It's like they often say, you know, kids say the darndest things, or they'll simply blurt out the truth when the rest of us are kind of covering it. I don't know if I've ever told you this. So once, I, when I first became a bishop, I became an évêque. I was the évêque de Saint-Paul, Alberta. I was the bishop of a French-Canadian diocese, and I struggled with my French. So I used to speak, I preach in French, I would do all this. I was working, the, the people in the cathedral in St. Paul were very kind. When I got into a sentence and couldn't get out again, they shouted the words at me. So they helped me get back out again. But I got better and better at it. And then I moved to Edmonton and I, I went to, I celebrated mass at a French parish there for school. And uh, after I finished the mass, I was out in the back reading the people and the parents were all saying, oh, Monseigneur, you speak, is that in French? You speak French so perfectly. And one of the students said, oh, no, you don't. You used to be better in St. Paul. You really got to practice. You're losing it. And I said, truth, truth. Nathaniel has come. Truth, truth. You have no guile. You know. And the parents were going, go away. But I mean, it was wonderful. So this is the kind of person that the Lord is seeking. You know, Here he is. 
It has no guile. How did you know I'm a person without guile? Well, <laughs> there we are. And uh, so how do you know? Jesus answered, because Philip, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And it says a bit later that Jesus didn't need to be told about people. He knew them right from the start because he is God, but also in his humanity as well. When you are totally like John the Baptist too in many ways, or Our Lady, when you're totally without sin, you aren't distracted, there's no, it's like they put the Hubble telescope up in space so it doesn't get distorted by the atmosphere. Well, holiness is like that, it's sort of like being, I don't know, the Hubble telescope. You aren't distorted by pride, anger, and you can see more clearly. We don't see clearly because we, there's a distortion coming because of our sinfulness. So Jesus said, before I, I saw you under the fig tree and I knew you. And Nathanael answered, oh, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He certainly goes from one extreme, anything good come out of Nazareth, to you are the son of God. You are. So he tends to be kind of a, not you might call a smooth character. He just blurts it out. And so the Lord says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Really? <laughs> no. He doesn't, really is not in the text. That's just my editorial thing. Really? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You will see heaven opened the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This goes back to Jacob's ladder. You will see this. God and man, heaven and earth, and the bridge between, the ladder between, is our Lord Jesus. And just as Jacob saw angels ascending and descending upon that ladder between heaven and earth. That's what we need, this connection between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. This is what the Lord gives us in the sacraments. This is what he gives us in the sacred holy word of God, of which each of us is a humble servant. For we're servants of the Lord made manifest in word, made manifest in sacrament. And they are the ladder, greater than Jacob's ladder. And they're not far away. That's the great poem of Francis Thompson, where he speaks as a person who is there on a, lying under, you know, London Bridge, the river on the embankment there. You know, Francis Thompson, that holy man whose whole life was caught up so much with drugs. And he was living on the streets. And he wrote the greatest of poems. There's one called In No Strange Land, and there is there's one about, he speaks of Jacob's ladder pitched betwixt heaven and Charing Cross. We would say pitched betwixt heaven and Dundas Square. Don't seek far away where the wheeling systems darken and our benumbed conceiving soars. The drift of pinions would you hearken beats at our own clay shuttered doors. We miss the many splendored thing. But John the Baptist didn't. He said, there is the Lamb of God. 
He could see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of God. And so must we. Our eyes are so blinded. Our hearts are so hard. But Jesus calls us to more than that. He says, come and see. Come live with me. Come follow me. And you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's the glory of being a disciple of our Lord Jesus. This is what he calls us to. And this is just the opening chapter of the Gospel of John. We'll go through so much more. But it is what he calls us to as much as he does to those first disciples. Let our ears be opened, our eyes be opened to this. And let us follow. And let us be faithful to the name the Lord gives us. The name of disciple, Jesus Christ. That we be faithful to the mission he gives us, each one of us. We all have a sacred mission. Through baptism, confirmation, sometimes ordination, whatever it may be. Certainly the sacred mission of husband and wife, mother and father. In the sacrament of matrimony. Each of us has a mission. And we pray the Lord, we should pray for the Pope, we pray for the bishop, thank you, pray for the bishop, please. Pray for the priests, all of us, that we'll be found faithful in fulfilling the office committed to us. But we pray for one another, that we'll all be found faithful in fulfilling the office of husband, wife, brother, sister, mother, father, parent, child, of whatever our mission may be, for faithful in fulfilling the office committed to us. We're all pretty frail, just like these stumbling apostles here. We need God's grace and he always gives it, but we also need one another's prayers. It's a wonderful thing our Holy Father says when he says, pray for me. We should all say that and think it for one another as well. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, 
When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.